Welcome to People, Places, Planet Pod, the official podcast of the Environmental Law Institute, a nonprofit, nonpartisan organization working to ensure a healthy environment, prosperous economies, and vibrant communities founded on the rule of law. By 2050, the Earth's population will reach at least 9 billion. That is an additional 2 billion people that will need nutritional food. Where will that protein come from? And how will it be produced and distributed? In this series of podcasts, we will be having conversations with environmental disruptors who are looking to address some of the world's biggest challenges, such as how will we feed 2 billion more of our planet's inhabitants? Let's start with flies. Yes, I said flies. Our search brought us to Grubbly Farms, a startup founded in 2015 by former roommates and college students Patrick Pitaluga and Sean Warner. They began their venture in their laundry room, where they were breeding black soldier flies as an alternative form of protein. People won't eat flies, you might think, but livestock is less picky. At present, a staggering 25 million tons of wild-caught fish is used in animal feed per year. Grubbly Farms is working to replace the use of this valuable food resource with flies. Yes, just flies. Hi, I am your host, Cassantha Mudley, and joining me today are the co-founders of Grubbly Farms, Patrick Pitaluga and Sean Warner. Welcome to you and thanks for being here. We are excited to be talking to you and hearing more about Grubbly Farms' journey. So to kick off, I'm really interested in knowing what sparked your interest in edible insects and specifically the black soldier fly. Uh, So specifically, we were not initially looking at the black soldier fly, but ultimately it came down to both of us firmly believe that insects are going to play a very important part of the feed system, looking at both human consumption and animal consumption. We do understand that there is a stigma in Western society, but similar to how sushi was seen as uh, gross when it was first introduced, we believe insects will eventually become more of a natural diet source. And with that, we wanted to be a part of the industry as it is beginning to emerge. So, um, Tell us about your very first batch of um, grublies. Yeah, so um, <clears throat> pretty much going off the idea of insects are going to be part of our future, and we started doing research on what insects are going to be uh, are being used as edible insects. We came across the black soldier fly, um, and what made us interested in that is uh, more or less the fact that they can be grown in high densities, uh, and they can actually be fed off of uh, waste streams, so food waste, uh, animal manure, or even human waste. Um, and that pretty much taking a waste stream and converting it into a usable protein is what really interested us. And we actually bought our first batch of uh, grubs on Amazon. Uh, so we found a seller on Amazon who was selling 700 live grubs, and we bought them, set up a, a tank to start feeding them food scraps from our kitchen, hatch them into the flies themselves, and then set up a mosquito net in our laundry room uh, where we started doing initial testing to breed the flies because, surprisingly enough, the flies themselves are notoriously hard to breed under artificial lights. Uh, obviously, you know they've been successful over millions of years of uh, breeding under sunlight. However, one of the main hindrances that we read 
when first studying them was that breeding was uh, very difficult. And so that's where we decided to start our efforts. Wow. So in your, in your laundry room then, so uh, no uh, complaints from, the, from your neighbors? Uh, we definitely had to keep it secret. And in fact, um, we had a, a few uh, scenarios where uh, we had like HVAC inspections or things like that. And so we had to tear everything down. We threw it on our uh, balcony uh, with the tarp covering it. They came to the inspection and then we set it back up like an hour later. Um, so it was definitely uh, <laughs> a, uh, I guess a, a hidden grow system. We also had a number of times where we had escapees of both uh, grubs crawling everywhere and flies flying around our apartments. So that was fun. So, I, you know, I, I'm intrigued also by the fact that, I mean, you two have vastly different backgrounds. Um, so do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Sure. Uh, yeah, so I have a background in building construction that I graduated from Georgia Tech with. When I went into tech, I really didn't know what I wanted to do. I switched majors a couple times. And even before tech, I had worked at a vet as a vet assistant. And I considered going to uh, UGA to study biology and the idea of pursuing veterinary medicine. So I have always loved animals, but going into this venture, I actually never really considered entrepreneurship until my last semester at Georgia Tech. Uh, this differs heavily from Patrick, but it ultimately came down to finding this industry that I truly believed in. And even though I didn't have prior knowledge to it, we dove into textbooks and learned as much as we could uh, because we really believed that this industry is going to make a large impact on the future. Yeah. <clears throat> like you said, uh, I, I had a background or I guess I studied uh, business administration and it was actually specifically supply chain and operations at Georgia Tech. Um, I had graduated the semester before we started this, so I had actually been working at uh, VMware as a sales analyst or a sales operation analyst. Um, but neither Sean nor myself had any background. Like, we don't come from an agricultural background mm -hmm. or family. Uh, we grew up in uh, Atlanta suburbs. Uh, neither one of us were particularly interested in insects. I will say Sean was definitely a little more adventurous than I was. He actually <laughs> had a scorpion as a pet when we were in high school. But outside of that, we definitely didn't have any type of agriculture, biology, or uh, entomology backgrounds. We just dove in headfirst, like Sean said, just read and absorbed any piece of information we could find. I, I really love that. Was there anyone else who kind of like played a role in, in getting you there, um, in starting uh, Grubbly Farms or in thinking about it? We went through a small accelerator at Georgia Tech that was actually before the Create X program, and it was just called uh, Startup <laughs> Semester. And it was kind of this unaffiliated program that one of our good friends was very into startups, and he actually encouraged us to go. But other than that, uh, Patrick and I really relied heavily on each other diving into the industry because when we started this in 2015, there wasn't too much information on the insect industry uh -huh. posted online. So almost everything we had to learn was through trial and error. Right. Uh, I understand that Grubbly Farms was awarded the Create X startup grant 
uh, by Georgia Tech. And in 2016, you awarded the Techstars um, New York City Startup Accelerator Grant. So how, were these, how did these grants help you build uh, your business? Um, so <clears throat> the Create, Create X program is really what allowed us to pursue this uh, instead of taking on full-time jobs. Uh, while it wasn't a lot of money, the Create X mm -hmm. program did come with a $20,000 investment. And uh, pretty much that just allowed us to uh, forego the job, uh, forego jobs and start uh, experimenting with raising these insects. In addition, they all, uh, that program also, uh, I guess, introduced us to the entrepreneurial process in terms of customer discovery, uh, how to approach or how to look at building a business. Um, and then Techstars really was more or less that program, but on steroids. Um, <laughs> it was a 12-week grind fest. It came with a $120,000 investment. Uh, but they really, uh, I guess, teach you how to start a company, everything from fundraising to even further vetting out your product market fit, uh, how to scale your company. And while uh, Techstars typically focuses on more like software-based companies, um, and I will say that was actually, I, I wouldn't say a hindrance, but uh, we definitely were the odd ones out. Uh, it was still immensely beneficial, and the connections that we've been able to make through both of those programs have been uh, exceptionally helpful. That's amazing. You you mentioned connections, so... I um, I understand that there's a university partnership in understanding how the uh, understand the lava growth rates. So, do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yes. Yeah, so, we have a GRA grant with Georgia Tech at the moment, where we're working with a professor who focuses on both biology mm -hmm. and mechanical engineering. Uh, his name is David Hu. And we are currently looking into different growing methods to raise the larva in deeper densities and also looking at the feeding behavior. So it's actually quite interesting. They're actually applying particle physics and fluid dynamics to the larva, viewing them as wow. individual pistols on how they interact with each other. Because when you put them in trays and feed them, they actually mimic a fluid and will undulate back and forth and they cycle through uh, how many people can eat or how many larvae can eat the food at a single time. So it's uh, very interesting on what different sciences you can actually apply into the insect industry. But uh, it's very exciting to do the research. And then we also are looking into feed trials and digestibility studies, working with UGA and a number of other universities that are heavily invested in the feeds, uh, feed industry. Uh, that's amazing. So, so let's just get into what the the production process looks like. So, from the flies laying eggs to you know the lighting, and um, you mentioned uh, using pre-consumed food waste um, to feed the larva. So can can you talk a little bit about what that process looks like? Yes. Yeah, so, as you said, the entire process begins with breeding the flies. <clears throat> And that is the main bottleneck of the industry right now. Uh, it's very easy to breed these flies in natural sunlight. However, if you rely on a greenhouse and bad weather comes in, if your egg production drops, that can collapse your entire manufacturing line. So what we had uh, focused on was more or less creating an enclosed box that had optimal temperature, humidity, wavelength, Kelvin unit of the light to mimic sunlight to encourage mating. 
And now once you actually collect the eggs, that is really where the actual manufacturing process mm -hmm. begins, where we collect food waste from different organizations, uh, bring it back to our facility. You do have to treat it depending on the type of food waste where you can use pre-consumer food waste that is in quote raw, or you can use post-consumer food waste if you treat it. And you can either treat it by boiling it at 212 for over 30 minutes or fermenting it where you drop the pH below 3.7 where you kill any human traceable pathogens. When, once you treat the food waste, it generally is ground into a salsa-like consistency and pumped into the larva rearing containers. That is where the insects begin to eat through the waste. They're introduced as babies. They can eat about twice their body weight a day and will grow wow. about 7,000 times from when they're hatched to when we harvest them. And as they eat through the food waste, they convert it into a fertilizer, which is actually the larva poop that we then sift them and then dehydrate them or dry them below 10% moisture. And you can actually extract their lipid or fat content and then mill the remainder into a protein powder. And then that are, those are the ingredients that can be used in animal feed manufacturing. Wow, that's quite a process. So th there must be some impacts associated with that. What's unique about Grubly Farms in addressing sustainability? So really the insect industry as a whole is trying to tackle a very large or multiple large problems the world is facing. Uh, for a starter, what the insect meal, the protein side is trying to replace is called fish meal. And if you're unfamiliar, mm -hmm. fish meal is a fish-based protein that's used in animal feed manufacturing. And it is derived from about 10% of the ocean's catch every year or about 16 million tons. And due to overfishing, the price of fish meal has doubled over the past decade. Well, insect meal can be produced at about one-fifth the CO2 emissions of fish meal, so it is more beneficial to the environment. But insect meal also offers an option to recycle food waste. And food waste alone is also a large issue where it decomposes into methane, which is a greenhouse gas over 20 times more harmful to the environment than CO2. And the United States currently produces and landfills about 50 million tons of food waste every year. So we're offering not only a solution to the food waste, but creating a direct re uh, replacement to try and cut back on overfishing. Those are, those are very big challenges. And I mean, Grubly has somehow made the link between them, which is fantastic. Um, are, are you guys tracking these impacts um, or have you set any sustainability um, goals and are you currently benchmarking? Um, <clears throat> so I guess right now we, we are not tracking uh, pretty much anything. Uh, I guess we do track the production and more or less the amount of food waste diverted uh, on loose numbers. Uh, however, just given... Uh, all the other work that has to be done to get the company off the ground and our limited uh, resources in terms of manpower and money. Uh, our focus is getting our business off the ground so that we can have the impact and then invest into mm -hmm. that uh, tracking and, and things of that nature. But right now we don't have a, uh, any large tracking efforts. Um, it's more so just getting us to a point where we can start tracking it. Right. Well, three years in, you know, uh, 
like you just said, I mean, the focus is is getting getting the business um, off the ground. We understand that, like as you've grown, there've, there've needed to be changes in your business model. Do you want to do you want to share a little bit about about that and that journey and and how you're scaling? Sure. Um, so recently, we made a pivot to stop uh, producing the insects themselves internally. Um, essentially, we uh, we classify the insect industry into more or less three verticals. You can either be a technology producer, so you develop technology and license it out to other people who want to be insect farmers. You can be an in actual insect producer, so people who produce the uh, commodity, so it's similar to like people who manufacture fish meal or soy meal or corn meal, they're manufacturing the commodity. Or you can be the uh, actual product producer, so people like Purina or... Coca-Cola or pretty much people who take raw materials and turn them into usable items, mm -hmm. whether like Coca-Cola, they're making drinks or Purina, they're making dog food or chicken feed. Um, and we were trying to do too many things. And essentially, it was just burning through too much capital. And the one place that we were uh, really excelling at was the sales and marketing uh, of the products. So taking these insects and actually bringing them to market, educating consumers on why they're important, uh, why they're safe, and why they're actually better than what's out there. Um, so we ultimately decided to stop manufacturing and instead focus on that, that third vertical that I talked about, the actual product development uh, and product innovation. And so we decided to partner with other people who are in the technology and manufacturing lines or verticals, and pretty much they are focusing solely on the insect rearing and manufacturing. And then we take their raw materials and manufacture uh, products that pretty much will go to markets. So like right now, our first product was Grublies, which was the uh, a snack or supplement for backyard chickens. However, uh, pretty soon we're going to be coming out with an actual poultry feed. So uh, pretty much further uh, supplying that backyard chicken market, but pretty much with a poultry feed that will allow us to actually start targeting uh, smaller farms, so your uh, non-GMO, pasture-raised, natural egg producers, those are the first types of farms that we're going to be looking to work with, um, which will further allow us to, to have impact on both the amount of insects that are pretty much sold into, uh, into the market, which means more food waste is going to be uh, uh, recycled, less fish mm -hmm. will be used, so we're really excited about about that, but it pretty much made more sense for us to focus on one vertical instead of trying to do everything ourselves. We've spoken about flies, but there are lots of other companies doing um, in innovative things. Like, are you guys engaging like in that cluster or ecosystem, if you will? Uh, very briefly, we have spoken to a number of companies that are looking into alternative proteins, uh, like algae, as an example, or the microalgae. And we have looked into uh, potentials of mixing them together, uh, creating an optimal feed. The issue really comes down to most of these alternative protein industries are very new, regardless mm -hmm. of which one you're looking at. And all of them are dealing with their own issues scaling. Right. So it, uh, you don't want to be reliant on an entirely new industry if you're incorporating an alternative protein into your new products as well. Mm -hmm. But uh, we do like to keep up to date with everything just because it's you're working in the same space. You have to understand where each industry and company is moving toward. Right. Um, well, more broadly, I mean, what do you hope for the future of this industry? Um, 
Where would you like to see it go in, in five, ten years? So uh, at the moment, there are maybe two dozen commercial insect facilities around the world. And most of those currently reside, uh, I believe, somewhere in Asia, uh, mainly China. And what I really hope to see is higher adoption rates in Western society, looking at both Europe and the United States. Mm -hmm. And once these additional commercial facilities start coming on board, you'll be able to utilize the insect meal in a more commercialized diet rather than a premium product. And it'll be viewed more as a commodity item. And it's going to take some time. It, is, it does come down to the stigma. It does come down to the adoption right. rate and the infrastructure cost to get these facilities off the ground. But over the next five to 10 years, there's going to be hundreds of facilities built around the world. And the insect industry is going to be pushed into the billions, if not multiple billion dollar valuation as a whole, which will probably continue to grow over the next multiple decades. Great. Well, um, just to wrap up, what, what, what's a one piece of advice you have for early entrepreneurs looking to innovate and make a long lasting impact, both in, in this industry and at the world at, on the world at large? What would that uh, be? I would say one of them would be jump in. So, and I guess this is for pretty much all, a lot of entrepreneurs doing any aspect, but uh, a lot of people more or less spend a lot of time planning and making sure they don't make mistakes mm -hmm. and never actually enter the market. And by doing that, you're you're hurting yourself, even though you think you're helping yourself by ensuring that you don't have mistakes. Mistakes is how you learn, and it's also how you test out your product market fit. So, for example, if we spent years and years and years developing a facility without ever testing the actual building of the facility or testing the market, like we could have found out that uh, we didn't actually have a market for insects in the U.S. quite yet, and we could have invested all this time and money trying to build a facility without entering the market. Um, so that would definitely be one thing: is pretty much jump into the jump into actually doing uh, immediately, and then talk to as many people as you possibly can. Whoever you think is going to be your customer or your customers' customers, uh, get their feedback and opinions. Don't be afraid to share what you're working on, uh, because again, you have no, you won't learn and you won't grow if you don't get feedback on your business and, and truly flesh out your product market fit and things like that. And similar to what Patrick said, networking, it, it's ridiculous how important it is. And you never know who you're going to meet. Uh, I mean, we've had some of the best random encounters on an airplane and at a farmer's market, just talking <laughs> about what we're doing. And you find out this person has chickens. They're actually buying our competitor's product and they are now working with us directly to help grow the business. But a lot of people are too afraid to talk about their idea when they're starting off with uh, basically thinking someone will steal it. You have to remember yeah. the idea is 1%. The implementation is 99%. And that's the most difficult part. So don't be afraid to talk about it and network as much as possible. And then I guess another thing to add on is sustainability alone doesn't sell. Uh, you have to be creating uh, or like solving a problem, whether it's making something cheaper making something more convenient or making something better. But just the fact that you're saying, hey, I'm sustainable mm -hmm. is not going to make your business in it there. You actually have to be improving upon something. Agreed. And uh, you guys are indeed solving some of the world's biggest challenges. I think, uh, you know, it's, it's companies like yours that truly get us excited about the future. 
Um, so we really do look forward to watching Grubly Farms and what you guys do next. Um, so thank you for sharing your incredible story with us here at ELI. Yeah, and, and, and we look forward to, to what you do next. So thank you. Thank you. Yeah, well, thank you for having us. Yeah, we really appreciate it. Thank you also to our listeners. Please stay tuned to hear more from startups, businesses, and government who are driving environmental performance. Thank you for tuning in to People, Places, Planet Pod, brought to you by the Environmental Law Institute. We would like to hear from you. So please send us your questions, comments, and ideas to podcast at eli.org. And if you're interested in learning more about our work, attending one of our events, reading our publications, or becoming a member, please visit our website at www.eli.org.